Support for this podcast is provided by listeners like you. Check out my website at p3photographers.net for ideas on how you too can become a supporter of the project. Welcome to Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols, the podcast where we celebrate early women artisan photographers. I'm your host, Lee McIntyre. On today's episode, I'm going to bring you the promised bonus update about Clara and Willis Town with the information from John Felix, an independent photo historian from Massachusetts. I'll also be giving you a preview of some of the women who will be appearing later this season on the podcast. For more information about any of the women discussed in today's episode, visit my website at p3photographers.net. That's letter P, number three, photographers.net. Last time, I brought you some updates about Season 1 episodes, including an update about Clara Obertown that followed up on my Episode number 9, A Tale of Two Towns. But the biggest update for The Tale of Two Towns comes from a man named John Felix, who's an independent photo historian himself. As it turns out, John contacted me after hearing the podcast episode because he's actually been working on a forthcoming article about the towns, and he takes a more in-depth look at all of their lives and careers. I'm really looking forward to this article. John has generously offered to share the answer to one of the puzzles that I raised in the podcast. Now, remember that Clara Town was actually Clara Obertown. She'd been married to a man named George Obert before she married Willis. I had pondered in the podcast, whatever happened to George Ober? because I had lost track of him and couldn't find any trace of him after he and Clara got married in the 1880s. And thanks to John, though, we have some answers. What follows is the conversation I had with John over the phone a couple of weeks ago. John, just if we could start by just having you introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, My name is John Felix, uh, and I've been interested in photography and history photography for some time. I've collected daguerreotypes for many years and, uh, and, and also cabinet cards mm-hmm. by uh, Boston photographers. And that's what got me into my interest in Clara uh, Ober. John has traced the full story of George Ober's life, starting with his birth in the mid-1800s. And there's evidence that he was a farmer in the 1870s. But I want to move forward into the story today to get just before George and Clara get together in the late 1870s. Now, the next time he shows up is in uh, 1879, uh, the city directory of of Nashua, New Hampshire. Okay. He's living with his brother, who was uh, 13 years older than him. Mm -hmm. And his brother is a milk dealer, Hmm. and um, George is listed as being a milk driver. In milk, or either in bulk, or okay. either you or something. Right, right. But um, I'm not sure how long he was doing that, um, but by the next year, um, by 1880, he's listed in the federal census as being a real estate and stockbroker. And that year is also kind of significant because that was the year that, that, that he married uh, Clara Oba. And, and on September 30th of 1880, he married her. Now, what's kind of interested on that is, at the time they got married, he was living in New Hampshire. She, she was living in Vermont, but they got married in Boston. But, you know, they didn't live in Boston. Right. Uh, the next two years, 
uh, at least the, the National City directly shows that he's still living in Nashville, New Hampshire. Oh, okay. He's, he's living at an address, too, that uh, it's number 2 East Olive Street. Mm-hmm. Make a mental note of that address. Okay. We were talking about that a little bit later in the conversation. So that happens in in uh, 1881 and 82. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Nashua. But in 1882, uh, a couple of things happened. Um, first of all, he gets in trouble with the law a bit. Ah. He um, in 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 July of 1882, uh, a grand jury hears testimony from the Massachusetts. Uh, Attorney General, mm-hmm. uh, that says uh, uh, our friend George here has counterfeit stocks Uh-oh. from the uh, uh, Copper Harbor Copper Company. Okay. Copper Harbor was a section of an area of, of Michigan that was very rich in copper deposits. Uh, okay. He has some, some forged documents uh, in, in his possession. Wow. And they said that he had them with the intention of uh, defrauding mm-hmm. uh, the company. But he got caught. He got wow. caught, and he ended up pleading guilty to forgery charges. Oh, okay. In so. Uh, in November of 1882. Wow. Now, um, I really couldn't find any record of what happened for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm direct information, but what I did find is that it was just about that time, he was having some problems with his marriage with Clara, mm. and she ended up filing for divorce in 1889. Now, in those divorce records, what mm-hmm. we find is that she claims that, that they lived as husband and wife in Boston from uh, July 1889. January 1st, 1883, then I continued living in Boston to the present, which kind of, it doesn't say it directly, but what right. he's kind of saying is that uh, he, he wasn't there. Right. Uh, and what she does say also in that is that he utterly deserted, that's a real word, utterly deserted her in 1886, I think it was. So it was three years. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of important. I think for desertion, I'm not yeah. positive on this, but it has to be a certain amount of time. So here it is in 1889, and she was saying that he deserted her in 1886. Wow. Now, whether or not he was not living with her, again, this right. support or whatever, right. so we don't know. But uh, utterly deserted uh, by 1886 is what she says in her life. And this is why I'm, I'm still waiting for information mm-hmm. to have a a records request into the Massachusetts Superior Court records, okay. the archives, to find out. Um, he pled guilty, but I don't know if he was fined, mm-hmm. jailed, or whatever. But I'll tell you what I suspect. Mm-hmm. What I do know is that when she filed the divorce suit, um, she knew, and she informed the court, uh, that he was living in San Angelo, Texas, okay. under an alias. Alias oh. was F. Allen. Now, Allen was actually his middle name. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the F stands for, uh, but the G probably stands for George. Right. If you look at some of the records that uh, during the uh, early 1890s, he is going by the, the name George Allen in Texas. So, what the courts required Clara to do is mm-hmm. to uh, is to place uh, a notice in the local Boston paper. It was the Boston Post. Mm-hmm. 
they end up basically she's filing for divorce. Okay. And uh, if anybody has any objections, it's going to be a, um, an opportunity, like, like a hearing type thing uh, on some such date. And the court also required her to, um, to send him, send George a copy of that, along with another letter, uh, more of a, a formal letter from the court, right. ordering him to appear on, it was like the, the, the first uh, Monday in, in November of that year, to provide uh, any objections. Clara sends it by uh, registered mail, which was required mm -hmm. by the court, and, um, and she just sent it to, to F.G. Allen mm -hmm. in San Angelo, and of course uh, he got it pretty quickly. His response was actually to the formal letter from the court ordering mm -hmm. him to appear. What he says is, is very simple, um, and uh, I'll read this directly. It is, I have no defense or reply to make to the libel. Uh, now, libel was a misspelling. It should be libelent. Okay. Clara. Okay. But uh, basically, he's telling the court uh, on, in, the, in the letter that he wrote, it was actually on October 10th, 1899, that he has no defense or reply to this. Um, now, in Massachusetts at the time, I think they may still have this, it's like a cooling off period. Okay. It's a six-month time in which uh, the court will just sit on it and not do anything uh, on, the off, on the off chance mm -hmm. that the couple may get back together. Right. It, look, it looks like almost exactly by that six-month, <laughs> Clara notified the court that, you know, they had not gone back together mm -hmm. or something. Because five days later, um, they said no objections were raised by anybody and they made divorce final. Now, what, what George ended up doing, mm -hmm. he ended up uh, leading a pretty prominent life down San Angelo. Mm. Uh, he, he did remarry. Uh, he married uh, Beatrice Fitch on January 19, 1899. Now, I did come across a passage. It was an article written uh, by this fellow named Rhodes Baker. And he was talking, he writes about how his his grandfather uh, and George Allen were, were companions. And he goes on to say that George came down to Texas to raise sheep, but ended up in the music business. It turns out that he opened up uh, a music shop and he was selling pianos and I guess the sheep music. And he, he's being somewhat acclaimed down there as being uh, the, the man who brought music to San Angelo. Because uh, at that time, San Angelo, uh, now, let me explain what, where, where this is. Mm -hmm. if, 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 I were, if I were to ask you to stick a pin right in the center of Texas, chances are you'd be hitting San Angelo. That's where it is. Okay. And there wasn't a whole lot around there, I guess, as far as music goes. Uh, and uh, George came in, uh, he brought music to San Angelo, and he was uh, held in high regard for that. He became quite a, a, an important person in this mm -hmm. town. But the town was small, and in 1895, there's only like 2,600 people in the entire town. Uh, it's now a much larger town. There's over, well over 100,000 there. Um, but back then, he was like one of the original settlers who brought civilization to that town. I have no idea okay. how he got there. The music business kind of surprised me when I first came across that. Right. <clears throat> Until I came across an ad. Remember I asked you earlier to... Right. Kind of make a mental note of that number two Olive Street in National New Hampshire. Right. Well, it turns out that was also the home of a company who 
was an E.C. Mason mm-hmm. piano and organ company. Oh, interesting. They were Okay. Steinway, Chickering, mm-hmm. Elvin Davis, mm-hmm. Dicker Brothers, uh, Wilcox and White Organs. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I'm wondering mm-hmm. if, uh, well, you obviously knew them. Right. Because, right. Uh, well, I, I haven't really pinned down that they were there when he was living there, mm-hmm. but I suspect uh, they were. And he, he must have knew Mr. Mason. Right. And, and maybe even went down to Texas. Uh, mm-hmm. on Mr. Mason's recommendation saying right. go down there set up shop and, and you could be a distributor he's a very interesting man mm-hmm. um, and I guess it shows that it's never too late to tune your life around but let, let, let me finish with, um, with with one final quote that came across in that okay. article by Stuart Baker mm-hmm. and it says um, as a footnote to that article which was written in uh, 2006 mm-hmm. It says, F. George Allen, uh, 1855 to, 18, to 1939. Music, church, and cycling were George Allen's only loves until he renounced his bachelorhood and married Beatrice Fitch in 1899. So getting back to a comment that you made earlier, um, about whether or not she knew about his past life, right. I get a feeling not too many people did. Wow, thank you so much, John. That is an incredible story. You did an amazing amount of detective work to trace the unexpected path of Clara Ober's first husband, George Ober, as we followed him journeying from being a farmer and dairyman there in New England to becoming a married stockbroker and then a stock swindler in Boston, and then ultimately moving to Texas, changing his name, and becoming a respected music man named George Allen in St. Angelo, Texas. I mean, who would have thought? Once again, I really want to thank John Felix for sharing his research with us here today on the podcast. Now, John is working on an article that goes into the towns in more detail. I'll provide more information about it whenever it's available. I, for one, can't wait to read it. Again, thank you so much, John, for contacting me and sharing that information about the towns. That reminds me, if anyone else out there has been doing any research on any woman photographer that I've already profiled or you think should be profiled here on the podcast, please drop me a line at podcast at p3photographers.net. I'd love to hear from you and work together and craft a story about a woman that you're working on. Looking ahead to season two, I'm going to be bringing you stories about the women that I've been researching as I traveled around the country this past year. Women from the East Coast, the Midwest, and the West Coast, from all over just to prove that early women artists and photographers were not limited to one area, but it really was something that happened all over the United States. To kick things off next time, I'm going to bring you the story of a woman that I find a little bit mysterious, and I've actually traveled to California to try to figure out a little bit more about her. This is a woman who encompasses the idea of travel from a different dimension because she actually was an itinerant photographer, a woman who traveled from town to town without having necessarily a home studio where she did most of her work. She's a fascinating woman, but there are mysteries that surround her, and we're going to bring you all of those next time.
Next time, I will also finally address the number one question I get about the title of the podcast, and that is, why is the title Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols? I mean, I talked in the episode eight about Elizabeth Withington and her parasol recommendation for female photographers, but the number one question I get is, why pistols? Well, that mystery will be solved in the next episode. For more information about any of the early women photographers profiled on the podcast, visit my website at p3photographers.net. That's letter P, number three, photographers.net. Or drop me a line at podcast at p3photographers.net. You can also follow me on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash p3photographers. Support for this podcast is provided by listeners like you. Check out my website at p3photographers.net for ideas on how you too can become a supporter of the project. That's it for today. Thanks for stopping by. Until next time, I'm Lee, and this is Photographs, Pistols, and Parasols. Mm-hmm.